Hey everyone, a quick note here before we get started. This podcast was a bit less uh, focused. I didn't have a particular topic that I really wanted to hit on. Um, and so what it ended up kind of being is a, I guess, post-mortem uh, video game Esoterica's PCFX video series. So if you haven't watched the video series they did on the PCFX, um, I'm gonna go ahead and link it in the description. I would highly recommend watching through uh, Anthony's videos here first before giving this podcast a listen. Though if you are familiar with the PCFX, FX, then I think you'll be plenty fine on, on just listening in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Controller Port. This is a multi-tap episode where we bring on somebody who essentially will talk about either an individual game or a particular topic with me. Um, and today I've brought on um, Anthony from Video Game Esoterica. How are you doing today, Anthony? Yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Doing good, thanks. So the reason I brought you on, Anthony, is because uh, we we're going to talk a little bit about the PCFX. And uh, I don't know how much you know about like my background with how I came into the system, but um, I feel like a lot of people who come into the PCFX um, come in from the PC Engine legacy of that system. So what I want to talk to you today about is just kind of your perspective coming from that background um, and getting an idea of, um, you know, because you seem more positive on it than most of the people who come from that background, I want to get like an idea of, of what you, you think about the system and ask some like different questions about, um, you know, your perspective on the system from that background. Um, so and, and for the audience themselves, you know, this today is probably not going to be like a real good primer on the PCFX. So um, Anthony, he's done a video um, that kind of covers the, the system as well as a video series that talks about individual games as well on the PCFX. Um, and then also, um, I've done a couple things myself with like a podcast with the uh, Welcome to Pia Carrot Translator in the past, as well as the um, panel I did recently at a local convention. So I'll link all the resources to that. Anthony's is probably going to be the best in terms of just the short form video for that. Um, but yeah, so to get all that kind of like red tape out of the way of what this podcast is going to be today, um, the, the bigger thing I want to kind of introduce with you, Anthony, real quick, is just kind of your history with games first and foremost, um, because you have a pretty extensive number of platforms that you cover on your channel between the 3DO, the M2, things like that. So I just kind of want to know a little bit about, you know, what kind of games you grew up with and what kind of console generation, what types of games you were playing. Yeah, for sure. I think I probably have too many consoles at this point in time. Storage is becoming a nightmare. <laughs> I swear, if you looked in my closet and one of the shelves broke, I could be in the newspaper of died by arcade board crushing. <laughs> it, it gets bad. But I mean, my background with games is that my father loved playing video games. I saw him one time beat Dragon's Lair on a quarter in an arcade because he memorized it back in the day and still to this day could probably pull that off. So he loved them. So of course he bought them for me. I think maybe mostly for himself and I just happened to be a good excuse. And that's why I had strange systems growing up. I mean, of course I had Super Nintendo. I had Sega Genesis, but my father bought a 3DO on release date because he wanted to play it. And it just happened to be a gift for me because I had gotten straight A's on my report card. So I think my background with rare hardware or like exotic hardware probably started back then. But I mean, my entire collecting comes from the standpoint of being a kid and thinking when I'm an adult, 
I'm going to get anything I want. Because of course, you couldn't get every single system that existed. Mm -hmm. So I became an adult and I did exactly what I said I was going to do as a kid (laughs) and basically acquired every single system I could possibly get my hands on. And that's kind of my background as who I am. I just decided to fill in the blanks in my knowledge base on hardware I'd never played before. And now I have rooms filled with consoles and arcade hardware. And that's kind of the story. So when it comes to your actual YouTube channel, uh, you know, it's called Video Game Esoterica. So it is it is very much focused on that kind of more obscure hardware and things that you've acquired over the years. Um, Was the 3DO kind of the initial like jumping point for that? What was the inspiration for you to start doing these things on YouTube and covering these kind of consoles? Yeah, I mean, I had always been doing stuff with the M2 and I'd been collecting for it. And there wasn't really much information out there. And honestly, the advent of the channel is I've been a filmmaker for, God, now 19 years. I'm starting to feel old. I just turned 37 and all of a sudden (laughs) I feel like maybe I got old at some point. I fell asleep and woke up and became old. But I had always been a filmmaker. I worked in skiing for the longest time. And some people don't even know stuff about me. Like I worked at Burton Snowboards for a long time. I've coached athletes that have won you know, X Games, gold medals, things like that. And I was kind of just in a lull in my own filmmaking practice. I was making content for clients that just really wasn't entertaining to me. And I needed to do something for myself that I was interested in. And I figured, well, I'm always dealing with this game stuff. I'm doing preservation and beta dumping in the background. I bet somebody might want to see some of these rarer things. So I just said, screw it, let's make a channel. And that was looking at my watch here on the date about three years and two months ago. So it was kind of just a spur of the moment decision saying, I'll see if it works or not. And I'll go from there. And we just passed the three year mark and probably got at least another three more years of me until I finally one day just decide to stop doing it. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. So, so was the, so just to clarify on on the M2 part, cause that's something I haven't really talked about on my channel too much. Um, That is like a, the success or sorry, canceled success successor. Correct me if I'm wrong to the 3DO. In a lot of ways, or, or is it kind of had a, it had like a weird thing where it was like in car, like machinery, like for maintenance or something like that weird, right? It's one of those weird things. The ca- the console was canceled. It became an arcade board. The hardware was used at GM dealerships to advertise like 2003 Pontiacs. It got used in coffee machines and Japan and then ATM machines in Russia. So it, it did release just not as a game console, but I guess if you needed rubles in the early 2000s in Russia... Panasonic had you covered with the M2. <laughs> and so was, was that the system that you really focused on at the start? That, that's where I found you, at least. I, I don't know if you had a particular like set console you focused on initially, or is it just literally everything I'm doing, I'm just going to throw on this channel? I started with the M2 just because I figured if I was going to try to start doing something in a market <laughs> that was already obviously saturated, I better start with something that nobody else has because I have way too much M2 stuff. So I figured start the channel with something that no one's ever seen before and then lead into the stuff I want to talk about. Stuff like the FM Towns Marty, the PCFX. Mm -hmm. It gives me the jumping off point to kind of just go wherever it is I feel. You know, sometimes it's hardware. Sometimes it's, you know, topics. I did an entire season on games based on Dracula. I just come up with an idea in like two minutes walking around being like, what do I want to do next? And then I just go and do it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in, in probably more recent months, at the very least, uh, it's been kind of you had a, kind of a Mister series going on right now, as well as I believe you've done some Dreamcast videos in the past, as well as like arcade boards, kind of fo- focused around like that Dreamcast era hardware. Is that right? Yeah, I kind of decided I wanted to pivot a little bit to some more 
I say modern air quotes, you can't see me doing it, but I'm using my fingers <laughs> just to bounce around. I guess it's whatever I'm currently interested in is the type of stuff I like to make. So yeah, I mean, I did a series on Dreamcast and some of it was, you know, common games. Some of them were esoteric games that I don't think many people may have experienced back in the day or, you know, with arcade hardware, I just got a Taito uh, Type X2 in that I'm going to be doing a series on maybe sometime next year. So I guess it's just... I try to bounce around enough and the Mr. Thing, somebody suggested I should buy one and check it out. It's now become my most popular series on YouTube by far. So whoever kind internet stranger told me to do that. Thank you. I listened, (laughs) dropped the 400 bucks and now it is by far the most popular thing. So it's all still just stuff I want to talk about, you know, moving forward, you know, in spring, I'll give your audience a preview. I'm going to be doing an entire series on the IGS PGM, but Neo Geo like arcade board that was out of Taiwan. So I kind of just felt like talking about that. It really is whatever I'm interested in at that moment in time. And I try to get people interested in the stuff I like just to hear them say, oh, I never knew that existed. That's awesome. Thanks for telling me about it. (laughs) So the PCFX console itself uh, kind of fits within this space pretty well, I feel like. As much as like for me, whenever I like surround myself with something, it's all of a sudden like in my mind, common knowledge. Most people like, yeah, people know what the PCFX is. But but I think generally, you know, most people in the gaming space, even the retro space, probably don't know it very well. And um, and at the very least, you don't have a great understanding of what the system was. Um, so just to give you a quick rundown, just in case, you know, you happen to be jumping to this podcast fresh, you know, the PCFX is essentially what was the successor to the kind of PC Engine TurboGrafx system released by NEC. Um, it was released in like late 1994, but it was only released in Japan. Um, and it is a weirdly like 2D only um based game system where where most other consoles at the time was doing were doing 3D graphics and things like that and it leans into that kind of full motion video aspect which we'll probably talk about a, a, a little bit um so in that regard you know actually getting into the PCFX is kind of a hard thing in terms of like naturally being kind of drawn to it it sounds like you have an extensive history with kind of obscure weird hardware but you know when you were a kid you know i'm guessing you probably didn't have a ton of access to Japanese consoles. So I kind of want to figure out like, how did you end up getting into the PCFX and, and what kind of led you to import the system? It was, it was the shape. I saw a photo of it, maybe in a gaming magazine, maybe somewhere on the, you know, mid to early nineties, like internet back when it made ear piercing screeches, just so you could dial up, maybe dating myself my age yeah. there. <laughs> but I saw it. I just said, well, that's interesting. And it's not here. So I was clearly intrigued by it but it is the shape because kid brain me you know that age i would have been like 13 14 i'm like well it's bigger than the other consoles that must mean it's better some reason like i remember that memory being like (laughs) if the physical case is bigger then there must be more inside of it therefore it must be better than what we're getting with the saturn and the playstation one and the nintendo 64 so that's why i wanted to have one other than the fact that you tell me I can't do something like play a Japanese-only console in America, I decide I'm going to. I mean, I got a Japanese Dreamcast imported before it came to North America just because I wanted to play it. I've always kind of, if you ask my wife, I kind of act first, think about it later. And on the PCFX side, (laughs) I'm just like, hey, why not? Like, what, what could possibly go wrong? That's interesting about the form factor. That is not what I would have expected. And, and for people listening, if you haven't seen it before, it's basically like a little mini tower PC in some ways. And it looks really out of place when you line it up against other consoles. Um, 
Were you aware of what games are on it at that point, or were you just seeing that hardware and just being like, I need this, I need this rectangle? <laughs> it was mostly I need the rectangle, but I remember seeing a couple screenshots of Team Innocent, and I was really intrigued by that, because it kind of reminded me of, you know, a fully 2D version of Alone in the Dark, or games <laughs> like that. And then I remember seeing a couple, you know, really small, grainy, you know, back then, you know, it was all tiny photographs of captures, sometimes, you know, photos of a TV in some instances. <laughs> and I saw Zenki and I'm just like, well, I like 2D beat-em-ups and that game looks great. So I should probably, you know, check this system out. It was just, it didn't take much for me to get interested in something and it still doesn't. I can pull at the smallest thread and unravel an entire topic if I just kind of think about it enough. And that's what happened with the PCFX. I'm just like, hey, these uh, four photos look good and this console looks like it's in interesting shape. I definitely need to obtain that. So when you finally got your hands on one, uh, what year did you import it, by the way? I assume this is later than when you saw it in a magazine. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. Or the, on the internet, sorry. This was, uh, the, I, I got the first PCFX, I want to probably say like, 2004 2005 around there okay. you know when it was easy to just like pop online and buy stuff because i remember with my dreamcast i you know did it mail order cash on delivery out of the back of a magazine so this was definitely like early 2000s because i just you know took my credit card out of my pocket put numbers into the web browser and good to go and you know i don't want to get too deep into your your long-term opinion of the pcfx at this point but um like that first time you plug that PCFX in and start playing games, what was your takeaway on it? What, how are you feeling about it? I mean, I was into it from day one. I mean, I think it's just because yeah. I picked games that naturally lean into what the PCFX is good at. Things like, you know, Zanke, things like Team Innocent, you know, the heavy 2D games that were leaning away from the FMV because I had gone through the Sega CD and I knew what FMV was. Mm. And, you know, kid brain me back then thought it was good. Now I nostalgically like something like Sewer Shark because I remember <laughs> playing it, but I know it's not a quote unquote good game. But I mean, the games that I picked up, I love it. I mean, I was a little bummed out with Zenki because, I mean, 40 minutes later, you've beaten it. Yeah. It's over. But, I mean, Team Innocent hooked me in, and I was, like, sitting there with, like, I printed out on a printer back when people owned those, like, a walkthrough just to play the game. And it it was colorful. It was different. It was unique. You know, I played all through the Resident Evils, and I kind of just liked the aesthetic. It was doing something I hadn't seen before. And, you know, being a filmmaker for, you know, my entire adult life and career some of the colors they used, some of the design aspects just felt different than what I had seen. And that kind of just pinged in my brain as unique, interesting, something to, you know, be worthwhile and look at. Were you, because, because the system, even like Team Innocent and Zenki, those are both very, I mean, there's most of the games on the system are very like anime aesthetic focused. Were you into anime at the time or, or is that something that you you mainly saw through games that just that more like anime-esque look? Just through games. I am still to this day, I, my anime experience starts and stops with Lupin the Third. That is the only anime <laughs> that I watch, and I watch them all for some reason. That one anime just, you know, stuck with me. But my um, knowledge level of anime is less than zero, basically. I don't even know if I pronounced Lupin correct there. So, you know, the aesthetic was interesting. I like the visuals, but not because I like anime. It's just one mm -hmm. of those things I never got into it. So to me, one thing that the P and I, I've never played a 3DO in my life, I, I will say, first and foremost. Um, unfortunately, I would like to, but it's just not a focus of mine. Um, but one thing that the PCFX always read kind of to me was kind of a almost like a Japanese version of 3DO. And I know that the 3DO has a life in Japan and everything. Um, I think there's some games that also cross over between the PCFX and 3DO as well. Um, 
But I was curious, like, do you think some of that history with the 3DO, you know, kind of led into your your appreciation for the PCFX, whether that be from the more nostalgic feeling about FMV kind of games or or just kind of in general, I feel like the the kind of I guess you could say interactive media era of games back then that the 3DO and PCFX were kind of aiming for. Does did that connection did that is there a connection between those two for you at all or? I mean, I can definitely, you know, draw a line from one to the other, you know, liking the 3DO, having it and appreciating the good games that are on there kind of made me realize early that, you know, the internet will tell you the PCFX has no good games. The 3DO has no good games. Mm -hmm. The Atari Jaguar has no good games. The Apple Pippin has no good games. I've yet to meet a piece of hardware that doesn't have one game I think everyone should check out and play and enjoy. So, I mean, I've always been open-minded. The only thing that I've never looked at buying because i know there really isn't anything to talk about is stuff like the casio loopy or the bandai Playdia. like those are just edutainment systems not really even gaming but i mean coming from owning a 3do and enjoying those games i basically you know have in my mind the opinion that every platform has something do i think it's always worth buying for your average collector sometimes yes sometimes no but i can always find at least one or two games that say to me I need this hardware on my shelf. So when I feel like playing that game, it's available to me. But then I get to recommend emulation to a lot of people saying, I understand you might not want to import a PCFX or buy one now. You know, it's old hardware. Burning discs is hard, but you can Mm -hmm. emulate it. It's very easy. Here's how you do it. So I kind of try to break the barrier down and get people to realize, oh, I can play this too in about 10 minutes and three mouse clicks. So the games on the system that the PCFX that you you recommended, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you did a video series that kind of goes over. Uh, was it eight games? I think you talked about in total, right? I think it was maybe ten. I think I actually exp- expanded it into uh, two more episodes because. You know, every time I do these series on really esoteric hardware, I never know how they're going to go. And I kind of, you know, make a decent amount so that if it works, I have them. And if it really (laughs) crashes and burns, I don't have too much content. And in the PCFX end, I actually ended up making more because the first video did much better than I expected for, you know, my channel, at least. I'm not the biggest YouTuber ever. I'm medium sized, maybe medium small, but I think it was 10 games in the end. So, so I want to talk a little bit about those games that you kind of highlighted and and get an idea of, you know, what um, really what makes these games stand out, um, not only from like maybe how the, how they you know function on that hardware, but also, you know, what maybe in comparison to some other games on other platforms, because, you know, this is around, you know, the mid 90s. So we're talking about, you know, systems like the Nintendo 64, Sega Saturn. Uh, 3DO never really got really big, but that was around two as well, right? Um, so the the first three I want to talk about are are the three games that you probably always hear about with the PCFX. Um, you know, uh, Zenki, Chip Chan Kick, and uh, Chojin Heki Zeroi Gar. I don't want to go too deep into each of those three games as as how they play because you know you've made videos on those. So so I'll, again, I'll link all your video series on here if anyone wants to get a deeper look at those. Um, but for those three games in particular, I think that, you know, the reason why they stand out on the PCFX is because they're very accessible, they're very action-oriented, things like that. Um, I was curious if you felt like these three games in particular, if they released on other consoles, do you think they would have stood out as much? Or is it simply just the fact that they are kind of stuck on this particular system? I think in this instance, I would say two of them stand out because they're on the PCFX and one would just be considered a great game no matter what system it came out on. 
if you put Zenki on the Saturn, it was a Japanese-only release. I'm sure that disc would be going for multiple hundreds of dollars on eBay right now, and it would be mm-hmm. making, you know top 10 top 15 lists of best beat-em-ups on the saturn zenki is a great game no matter what console you put it on i mean chip chan kick is great as well i mean i would put that up against anything you know like bubble bobble bubble symphony but i think that probably gets more attention because there's zero language barrier whatsoever you can instantaneously pick that up and play it it requires nothing of you except to have played a video game once in your life you know i could hand that game to somebody who's never played a video game before within five minutes they're playing it and they're enjoying it. And Zoroagar is just a really fun shmup and it's pushing around a lot of, you know, sprites and background layers and parallax and kind of just showing off what the hardware can in part do. But again, those are just like really accessible games. You need no Japanese language. You can just put the controller in your hand and go. So I think those are part of the reason why, you know, they're so talked about where something like Team Innocent barely registers on anybody's radar. But I would say to me, that, in my opinion, is the best game on the PCFX. So mm. it's always kind of, it's an easier hurdle to jump over to get into PCFX with those games. But I think Zenki is probably the only one that if you put it on a different system, people would still be talking about it today. One question, I may have asked you this before, actually, on like a comment section of a video, but I don't remember your response. So Zero Yard is that top-down shooter on that system, but there's kind of a unique element in it where you level up as time goes on. So if you like die, you get EXP and things like that, and you can keep leveling up. And basically, in some ways, just like brute force your way through the game eventually in a very like RPG leveling style. Um, I have played only one other shooter in my life, and that is Soldier Blade. So I have no context for like what zero Igar is and in like how it stands out are there other games that kind of approach a similar concept of that or is that something that's kind of somewhat unique to this particular title i would say it's somewhat unique now i mean i played a lot of shmups in my life but i don't have an encyclopedic memory and every time i make a claim on any youtube video that ends up being wrong (laughs) people are definitely more than willing to tell me where that was which i think is funny i mean what does it really matter to me but it's definitely unique in a weird way i don't know if i mentioned it in the video but it always kind of makes me think of the original Dead Rising. Frank West dies, you start the game over, mm. you keep your levels, you keep your life, you keep your experience, and then the game starts becoming easier for you. And I think that's a really, you know, it's a hard place to get from A to Z on that comparison, but it's definitely unique, and I do appreciate that about it because it's unforgiving. I mean, you die, you lose your power-ups, you get pushed back, like any shmup. Sometimes it's easier just to start over than it is to continue. So I think it was definitely a good you know, kind of concept for them. And I wish, you know, some more shmups had done that, you know, moving forward. So it, it's not just a good game. It's also unique in the mechanics that it does give you those light RPG elements in the leveling up system that is something you don't normally see. So you've mentioned Team Innocent a handful of times already. Um, and so that game for, for context is essentially kind of a survival horror game. Uh, it's like 1994 when it, it is a launch title for the system, actually. Um, and, and it's very much in the style of like an alone in the dark and, um, you know, later on Resident Evil and things like that. So you mentioned that you think that that's like the, the best game on the system. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, you talked a little bit about it in your video, um, but can you kind of just go through, you know, what about that game you particularly like um, and what you think elevates it over even the three games we just talked about? Yeah, it's, it's always so hard to, you know, kind of say why you think something's the best because mm-hmm. everyone has a different opinion of it, but it just feels like it was ahead of its time. And of course, you know, things like Alone in the Dark existed, but those games, mm-hmm. you know, were still kind of clunky. You know, the control was a little bit difficult. They You had to fight at those games or even Dr. Hauser on the 3DO, a deep mm-hmm. cut 
It's a great game. Frame rate's terrible. Um, something, you know, like Team Innocent, it kind of felt like, you know, and of course I didn't play that before Resident Evil, but it felt like the first time that concept had been executed, you know, to the full extent of what was possible. It blended the FMV together with the full voice acting, even if I have no idea what they're saying, of course, as a non, you know, Japanese speaker. The Mm -hmm. graphics, the color, it just has this sort of vibe that clicks with me. And that's not a vibe that I always love. I mean, I'm I find something to love about everything, but that game, it's just, it's different. It's unique. It's colorful. It's kind of cartoonish in a way. Like a lot of the enemies don't look scary at all. At one point there's a zombie coming towards you and he kind of looks like he's happy to see you, not actually threatening. (laughs) And maybe it's even some of that. It's just the environments, how big they are. You know, Resident Evil always felt small and claustrophobic because if you're going to try to build a sense of fear into somebody, you know, put them in a room that's small with something scary where Team Innocent, you have these big environments, you've got these ship hangars, you've got these grand halls. It just was something I had never seen before and I didn't realize I wanted it until I played it. It's interesting about the the claustrophobic and like making it a horror kind of thing because Team Innocent in some ways it feels like it's a game that's trying to make you uneasy with its soundtrack and like the the kind of the color scheme of the environments and things like that. But it also has that other side of it where they're talking where like the characters are like these like hyper spunky anime girls. Well, at least one's very hyper, the other one's kind of in between. Then they have uh, Lilith, who's just kind of like an operator kind of thing. Um, it. it, it do you know of many other games that kind of take that almost lighthearted approach to that horror element? Like, because everything I can think of is always more in the lines of like a B movie style, cheesy um, survival horror kind of experience. And, and admittedly, I will, I will say I have not played everything. As you mentioned earlier, there's probably something that does something somewhere. But that is a game that I don't know if I've ever seen another game kind of take that approach to its tone and atmosphere. You know, I can't really think of anything either. I mean, at the top of my head, the th- something that I would compare the closest, which still isn't a great match, would be Ill Bleed on Dreamcast. Mm. Because that game is quirky and lighthearted and goofy, but that definitely leans into the hard B-movie territory. And interestingly enough, I was just replaying it for a capture, and that game leans into some really weird, weird stuff that, you know, Team Innocent would never go anywhere near. But no, I mean, as far as like a horror game that's also in a lot of ways, lighthearted and kind of, you know, more uplifting. I think it is unique in that respect. And maybe that's, you know, to its detriment. I don't know how many survival horror, you know, gameplay games you could make around a not very scary environment. Maybe uh, that's the reason why Team Innocent exists in kind of a vacuum. How do you feel about Team Innocent's controls, actually, now that you mentioned the kind of the gameplay aspect? Like, because that was the kind of takeaway I had of that game where I couldn't really recommend it to anyone as a game per se, like when I think about how it controls, how the combat works, none of that is really great in my eyes, at least, but it's just everything around it, basically. Yeah, I mean, I always get used to what I mean. If you go back and play the mm-hmm. original Resident Evil, I've got it on PlayStation 1 and Saturn. I think I actually <laughs> have two different versions on PlayStation 1, and I probably don't need that many. That's hard to control, too. I mean, the combat in the original Resident Evil is clunky. I mean, what's the difference to me between, you know, doing a you know, karate kick against a zombie in Team Innocent versus trying to <laughs> aim a gun at a zombie in Resident Evil and probably missing like half the shots. No, no game is back then controlled great. So I guess I just am very forgiving of things, even on the channel. You know, I yeah. get that some people just can't gel with that. Maybe it's because I grew up with it. I grew up with tank control. So my brain just kind of trained itself as a kid to understand that. I mean, I don't want to go back to those days, like much more like the current situation with control schemes. But 
that sort of stuff, I just work past it. I've never found a game that was just horribly uncontrollable or I had to put it down because I couldn't, you know, deal with the mechanics of it. So there are like a, a pretty significant number of RPGs on the system. You talked about a few of them. Farland Story, uh, Last Imperial Prince. Did I get the name on that one right? Um, and then Miraculum, The Last Revelation for those. What in particular do you think those games benefit from being on the PCFX with? Because I know, I know in your, your videos, at least um, for Miraculum, you talked a lot about just like it feels like it is using kind of that enhanced hardware. But is there any particular, you know, traits that you think couldn't be done on other system or at least would typically be handled a different way on like a Saturn or, or a PlayStation? Yes and no. It's so hard, you know, because everything does something a little bit differently. I mean, you know, with Last Imperial Prince, when you're scrolling that screen and you get that really big parallax layer in front of it, you know, mm -hmm. could the Saturn pull that off? Could the PlayStation 1 pull that off? I think the Saturn would be more prone to being successful at that just based upon how that hardware is set up versus the PlayStation 1. You know, something like Miraculum, just the colors, you know, the details in the environment, it's it's above what a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis could do, and it's probably, you know, equal in some ways to what a PlayStation 1 and Saturn could do. But again, like, when you talk about, to me at least, you know, games that really are kind of showcasing, like, what the hardware was great at, I always think about, like, Zenki, when you have mm -hmm. that plane flying in and crashing in the background in full motion video as a layer. The fact that the hardware could throw up that full motion video layer within the gameplay is something relatively unique to I feel like to the PCFX are utilized more so it was sort of a way the FMV is going to look better than put Zenki on PlayStation mm. 1 have a you know 3D polygonal plane crash in the background it's going to look mm, like it came yeah. out of like 95 you put that pre-rendered FMV in the background it looks good I mean you do an indie game with that effect in the background today you're probably going to get a couple stories written about your unique art style so you know that's where I think the hardware kind of can shine in a way is when developers were smart with what the FMV could be, you get a unique look and feel that no other hardware really can capture. The only example I can think of otherwise, and I'm sure there's more, right? Um, but the the ones that uh, something I always loved from like on the PlayStation when I was a kid was uh, in the Final Fantasy games seven and eight at least. They actually had these sequences where like the camera would move around, and obviously that game has all pre-rendered backgrounds, right? But then they would have like a FMV segment that would play where they're or maybe they're just like streaming in different backgrounds, you know, quickly. I'm not quite sure how they handle it, but it will kind of actually use that for more dynamic camera angles while you have like the 3D polygonal model running around. So that was like the one thing I could think of that could that seem to do it otherwise on other platforms. But again, the PlayStation and Saturn library is so massive. I'm sure something else tries something like that. But I feel like you see more of that happening on the PCFX at the very least, or at least it's in such a small pool of games, you can identify it a lot easier kind of thing. Yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, I'm sure the developers and having absolutely no idea how to write code when I do it, it takes two weeks and it barely holds together if I have to. <laughs> yeah. You know, hardware constraints you know, breed creativity. When I'm on a film set, mm -hmm. depending on my budget, I need to be creative with what I use because I only have so much at my disposal. Of course, every developer yeah. would love unlimited power, unlimited RAM, unlimited storage, unlimited everything. But the constraint of what the PCFX can do when a developer was smart with it just has a look that I think holds up really well. I mean, I'd rather play a Zenki than I mm -hmm. would, you know, uh, 3D polygonal PlayStation 1 game that hasn't aged well that was trying to be too ambitious. Like, I love the original Metal mm. Gear Solid on PlayStation 1, but it's an ugly as sin game at this point in time. <laughs> 
I'll still play it. I still love it. But that 2D is just aged better. And I think that's across yeah. all systems. Saturn, Nintendo 64, PlayStation, 3DO, PCFX, everything. The 2D just looks great still. And I that, that's why if people saw Zenki in motion and played it, they'd be like, well, damn, this looks good. So one, one thing you mentioned in a handful of your videos, and I, I just wanted to kind of get an idea, and I, and I don't blame you if you don't like these aspects. It's, a, it's very much an acquired taste to some degree, is uh, you mentioned, I think, specifically in your RPG videos about kind of the relationship aspects of certain games where there's dating elements and things like that. Is that something you particularly don't like yourself, or is that something that you just know your target audience for your channel is maybe not into, um, so you kind of you know talk about it in, in that kind of way? It's one of those things I've never really been into those type of games. No judgments mm-hmm. for people that are. I mean, I play, I mean, I collect prototype consoles. That's probably stupid and people <laughs> should tell me I should probably stop. Mm-hmm. It's just never anything that's really appealed to me in, you know, RPGs, like even the Persona series with like the friendship thing. Like I just mm-hmm. want to play the game. I'm like less inclined about the interpersonal relationship aspect and, you know, seeing people date. I mean, I played Pia Carrot once. I checked it out. It looks like it's, you know, it's a great game as far as the visuals are concerned. It just doesn't have what I'm looking for. And as far as what my audience wants, if I could predict that, I'd probably be doing, you know, better than about 13,000 subscribers right now. So (laughs) I kind of just guess and see. And that's just the thing. It's just not something that I've ever been like super interested in. My wife's currently still playing Animal Crossing and she's trying to become like best friends with all the Islanders to get posters of them. I'm just, that's Mm -hmm. not a gameplay hook that gets made. So that's just kind of why I mention it and don't show those games is because Mm -hmm. I like talking about things I enjoy because it's a lot easier than trying to find good things to say about something I'm not interested in. Were there any games on the system that you, you enjoyed with that aspect kind of got in the way for you or... Yeah, what's the... I can't remember, cause just because it's in Japanese. There was one game that's a role-playing game where you're basically like a high school student and there's the interpersonal relationships. Probably Firewoman Matoi Gumi, I think is what it's called. Yeah, that one. Called. I yeah. love the look of it. I was mm-hmm. playing with the walkthrough, but it was just... You know, maybe it's a language barrier thing, but it just... I'd rather just play that game as a full role-playing game. Like, cut out yeah. the relationship part of it. Give me that graphical style. Give me that look and vibe as a full-on RPG. And I would have been there you know, day one for it. <laughs> and then to, to follow up on some of the games you, you talked about, but maybe it sounded like you maybe didn't finish. Uh, have you had a chance to get deeper into that? I think you had gotten maybe to like move the second or third boss based off your video or no, I haven't. I mean, I beat that game a long time ago and I can't really remember. Oh, okay. I can't remember the ending of it, but between being a full-time filmmaker for like 50 hours a week and doing YouTube, the sad reality is I really don't have time to revisit any of the games that I say I'm going to finish on the channel. I mean, I just, if I spent the time playing the game, I wouldn't spend the time making the videos. And, you know, that's a fun, that's an interesting game. And I think that's a really good example of, you know, people see a photo of that game and they think, oh, the PCFX sucks. Why would I buy that? That game is fun. I love everything about that game. It was clearly just made by like three people while probably half drunk (laughs) in a weekend somewhere. I mean, I know I made a joke in the video about the first boss, the bat enemy that seems to shoot sonar made out of burnt bacon strips. Like (laughs) it's ugly as sin, but the concept is there. And as long as the Mm -hmm. concept is there and as long as that's fun is there, I really don't care what it looks like. It could look a lot better. And I think the game would probably be as big as something like Zenki if it just looked good. But I mean, it's, the PCFX is Metroidvania, basically. I mean, it's got yeah. the same vibe of Symphony of the Night as far as like exploration, character unlocking, you know, blocks to your progression. It just happens to mm-hmm. be 
an abysmally ugly game, but it's still that intro song on that anime FMV is probably the catchiest. That's the song that I use for the trailer for the series. I could, I can hear it in my head now and now I'm upset because it's going to be there all night. And I really wish I hadn't just thought of it. So one thing in this kind of maybe goes back to the team innocent thing. So I have heard people in the past say that is a trash game. Um, I think a lot of that, you know, a comes from the aesthetic and then B also, I think comes from maybe kind of the playability of it in terms of the combat. It is very, I'm not sure how to put it, but like it does not feel like a game where you have like a lot of active control over your character. You kind of lumber about and then you just kind of like get in front of an enemy and then hold your attack button and hope it dies before you do kind of thing. Um, is that something that really jumped out at you during that? Or or is it kind of the same thing with Team Innocent because the rest of the game, you know, is is interesting in its structure and how you move about the world that, that it doesn't really matter that much to you? I mean, yeah, you can't deny the fact that the game controls like crap. I mean, your character mm-hmm. is... They feel like they're made out of lead and there feels to be like some sort of couple frame lag on button input. But that doesn't feel like what the game is trying to be. Like the combat seems to be secondary where the developers felt like, well, we have to have, you know, some combat. It can't just be pure exploration. So they threw it in there. But, you know, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of that game because I always screw it up. It's my my tongue does not appreciate. <laughs> I'm probably getting it wrong, too, but I, I try to say it with confidence, at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It just, that game's an exploration game and combat just happens to be, you know, tucked into it. But Mm -hmm. unlocking the characters, you know, seeing what's around the next corner, those gameplay elements always do hook me in. And I, you know, everyone's different. I have an innate Mm -hmm. ability to forgive a lot of things and find one thing that I love about something. And that's enough for me to, you know, play it. But I think like, other people commented that they went out and, you know, emulated that game and they're like, yeah, it's not that bad. I mean, it's definitely not like a 10 out of 10 game, but mm-hmm. it is a game that you can enjoy. And I think that's like, you know, a lot of what I tried to do with that entire series of videos is you see somebody talk about the PC effects, they're going to crap on it. It's just going to be a yeah. joke. And I get that. It's good. People love view- doing views for that. I did an episode on Haunted Castle for Halloween, the Konami Castlevania arcade mm, yeah, game. And yeah. I got so many good great views on that because people loved hearing me tear something apart for a minute and it's fun, but that's just not what I like to do. I mean, I love random and rare and weird things and I'm always going to find something to like about it while also telling people there's definitely some downsides, but for me, I can find fun in almost anything in that game individually. I'm going to try it. No, that was terrible. I I knew that was going to happen. That the exploration, the soundtrack is enough for me to say it's definitely a game you should check out because it's fun. One other recommendation I always make with that game is um, basically treat combat as a way to mitigate damage, not as a way to like deal with foes. I found most of the time in that game running away is like your best option and using the jump function like to function to just like jump over enemies. And and that once I kind of switched to that mindset, I think it really improved the flow of that game because there's some characters in that game that are just not equipped to deal with enemies very well at all. So so just trying to use each of their skills to evade and, and mitigate damage, I think was a big help with my experience with it for sure. Yeah, I mean it makes Combat. perfect sense to me. So one game you did cover was Battle Heat, which is one of those kind of like full motion video uh, based fighters. And you didn't have like a, a, a super positive opinion on the game. So I, I, I had offered you some advice uh, afterwards in regards to, to, to how to play it. I was wondering, did you get a chance to actually uh, uh, give it another go or? 
Yeah, I did. I, I gave it another go, and I, I will tell you that I, I still swear that I know I'm doing something, but I could not tell you what it is that I'm doing. And I think it's just a brain-to-eye-to-hand coordination thing. I just can't understand it. But then again, there's mm-hmm. I can say the same thing about, you know, I love Street Fighter Alpha. Alpha 1, mm-hmm. Alpha 2, Alpha 3. I think those are great games. I don't like Street Fighter 2. I suck at it. I can't get past stage two. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the controls in that game. I just am not good at it and I'll never be good yeah. at it. And it's one of those things. I th- sure that it's, I'm sure the battle heat's controllable. I'm sure that it's playable. I just can't, you know, yeah. get over that barrier. I don't know what it is, but I remember there was a, you know, Sega CD had a couple of full motion video fighting games. I can't way of the mm-hmm. war. knows. I can't remember what they were. You can look it up later. I couldn't figure those out either. I think it's just a timing thing. I think it's just, I don't have the visual cue to understand it, but I will, I mean, it's sitting on my shelf behind me in the case. So I'm definitely going to at least try to get to stage two one day. I mean, that should be a, (laughs) maybe a 2022 goal of mine is to see a second opponent. I will say I don't, I don't particularly like Battle Heat that much. Like, it's fine. (laughs) It's my feeling on it. But yeah, like it is definitely playable. It, It was really interesting to me that like, I, I talked to a few other people who played it afterwards and everyone's like, yeah, I never got past the first boss. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize this was like such a problem. <laughs> so so that's why I kind of put that little guide together in hopes that it would help a little bit. Um, is it is it mainly just like a um, like because you mentioned not being able to do the specials. Is it, is it literally just like an input thing, not be able to do the inputs or is it more of just not understanding the concept of how to like defend and be offensive in battle heat? I think it's just the fact that it's such a strange perspective compared to most fighting games. I mean, if you've ever played mm-hmm. a you know one-on-one fighting game before, you know what it looks like. Whether it's in 3D or in 2D, you can kind of like understand your distance. A lot of it is that you know there are visual references of what your distance is compared mm-hmm. to your opponent, but it takes so long in my brain at least to register what distance I'm at that I probably mm-hmm. miss the window for the input. Just trying to get that visual information to understand what I'm doing at that moment in time where, and you know, at, you know, 2d, you know, traditional fighting game, you can instantaneously see your distance to your opponent. I think it's just, I might be a spatial awareness thing where I just, by the time I know what I want to do, the window for that input is already closed and I'm screwed. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's good to know because there's definitely like with that after your video and like talking to a few other people who were like, yeah, the information that was like I provided because I do like the English guide series, right? Um, the, the information pride in the battle heat video didn't help them that much. I was like trying to think about how to change that. So that's that's interesting to hear about that perspective part because there's not obviously that uh, once you get to that part, that's a problem of the game itself, right? Of like not communicating that information well enough. And kind of the unique thing with Battle Heat is like it's not there's not a lot of Japanese text in it. It's more of just the era of game, the type of game it is. It's just so far flung from what, you know, what we play to get today when it comes to fighting games. It's like really hard to get into because it's just detached from everything these days, I feel like in terms of gameplay design and everything like that. Yeah, and that's the thing when I constantly think about PCFX, when I talked about the why did it fail video, I still mm-hmm. to this day will not understand why NEC and Hudson Soft decided that was a direction to go because they had really good success in Japan with the PC engine. Obviously, the Turbo Graphics in North America had a following, but it wasn't as huge. But I iterate on success. If I see a video mm-hmm. series is doing well, I think to myself, I should probably make more of those. When I saw Mr. was becoming a good viewing series on my channel, I said, I'm going to do it once a week. 
NEC mm. and Hudson Soft said, hey, all the things that worked on PC Engine, let's do the opposite. I don't know why yeah. a business would make that decision. I mean, I don't know if they were worried about not having, you know, 3D hardware on board when it mm-hmm. launched. I mean, obviously, the PCFX GA on, you know, DOS and PC98 had a 3D accelerator in it, which was also a weird fracturing of the customer base is that you had two PCFX quote unquote systems, one that was capable of 3D, but only in a computer. It just mm-hmm. seems like they basically got nervous about what PlayStation you know, and Sega and you know, Sony, Sega and Nintendo had, and they said, we need to do something that they're not going to do. But they did something that I don't think really many people were like super keen on actually experiencing. Do you think if they took that more, you know, real successor to the PC engine approach and maybe fell more in line with, I would assume probably closer to the Saturn, what the Saturn was doing kind of thing, right? That'd probably be the most realistic um if they were to alter the system in some way, do you think they, they would have found success or do you think it just would be a better console to look back at? I think if, you know, of course, you know, playing armchair quarterback with history is always an easy thing because I could just yeah. say it out loud and <laughs> pretend it'll work. Take the PCFX, make it just a pure 2D system, use the FMV and the Zenki ways in the backgrounds and put legitimate, awesome 2D games on that system. And I think mm-hmm. you'd have a huge you know, retro gaming community that collected for it. I mean, why would Hudson put Saturn Bomberman on the Saturn? Hudson was partnering in the PCFX. Why are you giving mm-hmm. your best franchise to the competitor system? Probably because you're trying to sell more copies and you realize your install base of PCFX was terrible. Yeah. But take half of the Saturn's 2D library, put it on the PCFX as well, make new original awesome 2D games for the PCFX. And I think it what you know it definitely wouldn't have seen the level of success of PlayStation One and Saturn Nintendo sixty four because the yeah. entire industry was moving to three D, but you'd have tens of thousands of interested retro gamers saying, "I want to collect for this system," and it would be mm-hmm. expensive. I just think that they had hardware that was really good at doing something, and they used mm-hmm. it in all the wrong ways with the FMV. Like, yeah, great, you can decompress thirty JPEGs a second, and it looks pristine compared to what the competitors are doing. Do something fun with it. Do something unique with it. Don't just throw it in there because you can. It's like I was also a college professor of film, except during mm-hmm. the pandemic, those classes were canceled because you can't teach somebody how to use the camera over Zoom. And I would tell <laughs> my students every single time, just because you have a piece of equipment next to you, do not use it if your shot or story does not call for it. I don't care if there's a crane in the closet. Does your shot need a crane? No. Mm-hmm. Well, then leave the damn crane behind. Don't use it because you think you have to because you have access to it. If they had used the same mindset with the PCFX, we have this amazing FMV hardware capability. Let's use it when it's necessary versus shoehorning it into everything. I think it would have succeeded to a degree. Yeah. So in terms of your, your audience, after, you know, you, at this point, you've wrapped up at least your first series on the PCFX. Maybe someday you'll do more. <laughs> um, but I would be happy to see that at the very least. Um, um, did you get any kind of like general feedback that you're surprised by with, from your audience? Or was it pretty much what you were expecting? Like what was what was their kind of, you know, response to the PCFX? I was pleasantly surprised, but what I was hoping for did happen, which is that most people were like, oh, I didn't know that. It actually is decent because if you mm-hmm. you know just read a random article on the pcfx or on the 3do or on the jaguar the internet's going to tell you they're terrible and in some mm-hmm. ways they all are but in some ways every system's terrible i mean playstation one has some great games on it it's also got some ugly games that aged poorly and the lasers break like 
pretty much constantly. Every console has something bad about it. But mm-hmm. my audience is willing to listen and say, you know, that does look good. I do want to check it out. I did get some comments of people saying like, oh, I played it. It was fun. You were right. You know, mm-hmm. and that was just kind of a good thing to me is that more people realize that there is more than meets the eye to the PCFX and it is something worth checking out. The greatest thing is I can always point to something like MedDefend and emulation is that you mm-hmm. don't have to go buy this hardware to play it. I think I even recommended for the most part people not go buy it just because burning games on that system is so incredibly touchy. It's the yeah. hardest system to deal with. And I, I think it's down to the, you know, bit rate of the motion JPEG decompression because my burns always freeze on FMVs. I just don't think it can spool the data quick enough from a burnt disc, but having emulations like spend 20 minutes of your day and try it. If you don't like it, you found out, but at least try it. I mean, it's the same thing with like food. I never tried before. I'm not going to say no to something because I don't think I'm going to like it. I'll try it. And if I don't like it, at least I know. And that's, you know, kind of the takeaway with a lot of the stuff on my channel is that most people are willing to try stuff because you read top 10 lists, you read top 20 lists, and it's the same 10, 20 games over and over again. And I think as retro gaming gets bigger and people that have been in it longer can I, you know, continue in it, we need to start looking for the deeper cut stuff or else you kind of mm-hmm. end up in a dead end with the hobby. Yeah. And in terms of your own personal interest in the PCFX, um, is there a particular direction that's kind of drawing you with that at this point? And, you know, it's just on hold at the moment, or is that something you still got to figure out, you know, what, what's next in terms of, you know, you checking out games on that console, what types of games you want to check out on there? Yeah, I'm probably going to buy a PCFX GA and hook it up into a computer. <laughs> you can, you can hear in my voice that I'm yeah. regretting my own decisions. I just need to find the right PC. I mean, cause you can get the cards, out of Japan on Yahoo auctions all day long. They're not hard to find. I'm just yeah. trying to wait for a DOS one to come around because I don't really want to buy a PC 98. I mean, I really do. Yeah. I want to buy everything that I can imagine. But of course, uh, contrary to the internet and YouTube's popular opinion, I am not rich. People seem to think that <laughs> I am somehow sitting on a pile of money. If I am, I have lost it. Please somebody tell me where I put it. <laughs> yeah. So when I find that DOS card, I will buy it and I'll probably do some videos on the 3D aspect of it because it is a really in and of itself weird story. I mean, NEC used Kubota, the tractor company, to develop a GPU. I mean, why would you why would you do that? I mean, I don't go to John Deere when I need a sedan. I go to Volkswagen or how they just I'm so curious about it because it makes so little sense that I have to mm-hmm. hold it and experience it and play it and show it to people and then you know there will be a record of it online because there's really not much on the PCFX GA on the YouTube so I kind of try to also you know fill gaps where there might be one I use uh I actually have a PC 98 so I might need to look into getting cards that card at some point there's only like two or three games for it right if at that maybe just tech demos if i recall correctly potentially yeah i mean saying that there's a pcfx ga game is kind of you know completely not true it's just you know there's a lot of fan games that are still available that i know like because it Mm. came with the software development kit too and i don't believe those will execute on a standard pcfx i think you need the software with that card yeah so there's you know games out there i mean they're going to be you know fan games and you know the Technical ability and gameplay factor may range from as good as release to clearly somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And that's fine. I mean, people should do whatever they want, even if they don't know what they're doing. No judgments there. But to me, it's just a curiosity piece. It's like one last little bit 
of PCFX that I haven't experienced and I will probably continue to think about it until I have experienced it. So it's kind of like putting that thought to bed for myself. If you get the PC-98 one, it'll be a nice bridge over into that. <laughs> you can be like me where mine's been sitting here for like two years and I have not done anything with it, basically. Uh, then turn it on. I was like, yeah, it works. <laughs> so I've got a list of PC-98 games that may or may not turn into a series uh, sometime nice. soon. So I kind of... I'll wait. And I realize I just wrote something in the wrong spot. I need to move Persona 4 from the Taito Type X2 series back <laughs> down. But yeah, I mean, that's something that'll probably show up on the channel eventually. I mean, Sharp X68000. I love the Japanese PC, so it definitely will be a direction I begrudgingly with my wallet go one day. Well, I think that's all I have to ask you today. Is there any kind of final thing you want to say about the PCFX? I think we probably wrapped it up pretty good here. Yeah, I mean, just play it. I mean, if you if if you read on the internet that any console's bad, just find out for yourself. I mean, everything yeah. emulates now. There's no reason not to play something. It's like you don't have to go and buy a PC. I get it. If the only way to play the games yeah. was you spent two hundred and fifty plus dollars on a console, I would probably not buy it either. If I was just you know a random person into retro gaming, but just try it. I mean, all you have to lose is thirty minutes, and I've wasted thirty minutes on much dumber stuff than trying a PCFX game. <laughs> Um, so if you want to learn more about the PCFX, um, as we mentioned earlier, Anthony did a video uh, series on on his uh, YouTube channel called, called Video Game Esoterica. So I'll definitely link the playlist for that. I assume you have a playlist for that, right? Yeah, for That's sure. That's like a separate. Okay, so I'll definitely link that in, in the, the video. It's a nice, uh, I'd say probably maybe about an hour worth of content across that playlist, right? Um, so if you want to dig into that, um, that's like a nice compact way to do so. And um, the... When it comes to, you know, how I cover the PC, PCFX, it is a bit different because I definitely lean more on like the appreciating kind of the anime, you know, aspect of the system a bit more in terms of like, you know, getting into those relationship based games and things like that. But I think realistically, you know, your perspective is more in line with what most people are looking for when looking at the PCFX, um, which is why I think it's interesting to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, rather than being my own little tiny echo chamber of people who feel the same about me about it with me so yeah no I totally get that I mean that's a lot of the joy that I take out of the channel because trust me the ad revenue is not that great I get people excited (laughs) for the stuff that I'm excited about and I have more people to talk to about the stuff that I like getting people more people interested in the 3do or the m2 or different arcade Mm -hmm. platforms I get to talk to more people about the stuff that entertains me. And that's, I think maybe the real driving factor is, Hey, look at this cool thing. Isn't it cool? Let's talk about how cool it is. That's kind of why I do anything in life is just to have fun and make more people like stuff. Anything else you want to plug about your channel outside of just that series? No, I mean, we're still going. I mean, I got a lot of stuff lined up for 2022 and I got new hardware sitting under my desk, some stuff that no one's ever seen before. I've got some, you know, videos coming up throughout December, just rare hardware. I'm sure I'm on the hunt for a lot of different things and we'll see how those hunts go. I like to at least once a year show somebody something that nobody knew existed. So I'm trying to find that item for 2022, but like any treasure hunt, it's more often than not (laughs) unsuccessful than it is successful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. Uh, We'll probably have a series of links for your channel and everything in the description. So, so if you're curious if you learn more in general about any of the things that I have to talk about today, uh, definitely check out his, his YouTube. He also has a Patreon as well. So if you want to contribute to him, you can do so there. Um, in terms of, of my own stuff, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, uh, my YouTube channel is a little all over the place. I kind of just chase things that are interesting to me. That can be anything 
from stuff like the PCFX to like weird, you know, niche Nintendo stuff all the way over to like games for girls and things like that. So pretty broad range of things, but you know, I try to at least try to focus on things that are that are interesting. Um, I currently do like a PCFX English guide series that basically goes over just some strategies to actually play some PCFX games in English, you know, what kind of resources you can use to help you with that. Um, and I also have like a general PCFX English software overview. So I'll also have links to that in the description as well. Um, but yeah. So anyways, thank you so much again for coming, Anthony. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, for everybody else who's, who's listening, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you guys have a great week.